0: Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Paul Bowden. I serve on the guest services team, the speaking team. And I am excited to share a little more. How many of you are excited either because of the the content or it's my last day? (laughs) Both are probably okay. Uh, Yeah, but I am excited. Um, It's actually an honor. It's a privilege to be able to do this and share. And I thank Pastor Mike and Rhonda for allowing me to do it. Uh, it, it is exciting. This is an exciting, um, I think, end of this series, and I'm excited to bring it to you. And I want to welcome everybody. Welcome visitors. Welcome new people, uh, people online. I've hope, I hope you've enjoyed the series uh, this far, and I hope you're excited to hear the, the end of it. Uh, and I also want to invite everybody back. If you're new or visiting, if you're Uh, wanting to know more about us, come back when Pastor Mike is here. Uh, And he's getting his batteries recharged. He and Rhonda are on a short sabbatical. They'll be back very shortly. And they will be refreshed. I am excited about it. So how are we doing today? How is everybody? Good? All right. Excited to hear the word? Well, let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord, for uh, just the seasons, the beautiful day. Um, we thank you for being here. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Father, that you have a good plan and that you share that plan with us. You tell us uh, the good things that we can expect. So we, we open our hearts to you, Lord. We open our minds, and we thank you for speaking your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are we on? Yes, we're good. All right. Uh, so... We're working on a series titled, I Was Wondering, and my portion is about the end times. This message is the third of three messages in a series. The first uh, title was, End Time Events. The second was, Watch Therefore, and this is titled, What Time Is It? What time is it? God has an end times time clock. Did you know that? Uh, I made the con- The comparison to athletics a couple weeks ago, and athletics has time or a clock management down to an absolute science. Uh, Even guys like me that are sitting in the armchair watching a football game, we know, right, guys, when to call a timeout. We know when to clock the ball. We know when to throw it to the sidelines. In basketball, you know when to call a timeout, when to foul. Um, They maximize uh, the clock, and, and every second they make the most of it. Uh, In track, too, you put the fastest person in the anchor leg, don't you? Any track runners out there? The fastest person goes in the anchor leg. And guess what? I think we're running the anchor leg. And when a runner sees the end, when they see the finish line, do they coast? Do they kind of back off on the throttle? Or do they kick? Do they give it all that they have? I need you to know, or I I need to know what you think. Do you think they coast? No, they kick it. They kick it down. Uh, they see what kind of a kick they have. So how do we maximize our opportunities? And is the church aware that there is an end times clock? Where is it? And how do we keep our eye on it? So uh, the clarity of Scripture in this area isn't as clear as, say, salvation. God is very cut and dried in most areas, very, uh, you know, there's no question about how one is saved, right? Right. Um, End times isn't quite like that, but Isaiah 1.18 says, Let us reason together, but it has to be around the Word. Bible scholars all over the place that have studied this their whole lives disagree on a couple minor things about end times. Um, so it's okay for us to disagree if we don't agree on every detail, uh, but I believe the Holy Spirit is clarifying some things as we draw closer To the events of the last days so we need to hold on to the truth this is how i i view it we hold the truth in an open hand and kind of like an onion where we ask god to reveal things and i believe the more that we study the more that we pray the more that we spend time with the spirit the more he peels back that onion the more truth he shows us and we have to have that type of an attitude and not get in a ditch um of our own opinion or the, our own desires. So there might be some different opinions out there. And, you know, like I said, we can still be friends. There's no problem. As long as we, like one of my really sharp sons-in-law said a few weeks ago, as long as we can defend our position in the Word, we can still have a great conversation. Not thinking like that onion, not taking it in like, no, I know everything that there is to know about this situation now. And you're not going to tell me anything. That's not the attitude to have, and that's not what we're going to do. So remember, we study this topic out of obedience, encouragement, and blessing so that we have an answer for people when they ask. And there are three people groups that we talked about. If we're going to rightly divide the word, we need to know who they are because um, each of those three people groups are going to be treated differently in the end. Uh, and they are the Jews, of course, born with the Jewish bloodline. That's the bloodline through which God chose to bring the Savior. And John says, in John 4.22, he said, Salvation is of the Jews, which means it came through the Jews, came through their bloodline. And Paul said, in Romans 1.16, of the gospel, he said, It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and uh, for the Greek. So God hasn't forgotten the Jewish people. Amen? I, I feel like the last couple of weeks I've been a little hard on the Jewish people. That hasn't been my intention. Uh, but the Jewish people are still God's chosen covenant people. The church has not replaced the Jewish people. God cannot break his covenant with the Jewish people. Amen? And if he could, he could break his covenant with us, with the church, and he can't. He can't do that. God's not waiting for the church to do anything either until he acts on behalf of the Jewish people again. He's on his own timetable. He's not going to wait for us. God cannot break his covenant with the Jewish people. And then there's Gentiles. That's uh, anyone that's born outside of the Jewish bloodline, also called the nations in the Old Testament and the Greeks in the New Testament. Um, And then there's the church. And it's only made up of true believers and Jesus followers. And you might say, yeah, but Paul, uh, you know, there's no Jew nor Greek or male or female. And, And yes, you're right. If you look at Galatians 3, starting in verse 26, Paul says, for you all are sons of God through the faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And that's the key, in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're the church. So I feel like I haven't made this point. It might be obvious, but what happens to a Jewish person when they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? What, what people group do they become or go into? It's the church. They don't lose their, their, uh, they don't lose their Jewish heritage. Uh, but they become the church. And it's the same with a Gentile person that received Jesus. They become the church. So I put this slide up and let's go back one. Yeah, this slide right here. I asked God, I said, God, I don't want to be that guy that stands on the corner with the cardboard sign that says the end is near. I said, please don't make me do that. I don't want to be that guy. But there he is. Uh, A couple of those are kind of cute. The one in the upper left, uh, has a big person that says, the end is near, and the sign that the little person is carrying says, are we there yet? I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Uh, this one's an anti-joke, I think. The end is near, the end. This, uh, The one in the upper right, uh, we have to caution against because that guy has predicted, right? He's predicted the end, looks like a couple times, and he's been wrong every time. So we don't want to do that. Makes sense, right? Okay. So if we could go, there we go. So this is, I think, a very simple timeline that I wanted to show. Uh, it's, It's pretty accurate as far as what I can tell. And it shows a couple things. It differentiates the rapture and the second coming. And the rapture is Jesus returning for his church. And then the second coming is Christ returns with his church. And we clearly see on the bottom there the seven years of the tribulation. And the only thing that I would add maybe is that I'm not sure about this. You see the, where the rapture happens. That's uh, the indication of the, the arrow uh, coming down and going back up. I'm not sure that the tribulation starts right then. Uh, I believe, based on Scripture, that the tribulation starts after the Antichrist uh, gains power and um, has a, a, um, a treaty with the Jewish people. So, there might be a gap in there while, in the natural, the Antichrist is gaining power and has that, uh, uh, that treaty. So, there are some that say, Paul, there's no rapture, there's no word, English word rapture in the Bible. <clears throat> and they're right, but it always seems like they're implying because there's no English word rapture in the Bible that there won't be a rapture of the church. And so, I ask them that. Does that because there's no English word rapture, are you saying there's no rapture? And they never say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know what their point is, but here's just so we know, all right? We as a body know how to think or or refute this is there's also no rapture, I'm sorry, there's no English word for Trinity either. That doesn't mean that we don't believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We do, they're three in one. There's no word Trinity, uh, but that's okay. Here's where the word rapture comes from? It comes from the word harpazo, the Greek word harpazo in First Thessalonians 4.17. It's translated into catching away or caught up is what that means. Uh, harpazo is translated into Latin, uh, the Latin word raptura, which means the exact same thing as harpazo. It means to snatch, grab, carry off, and make your own. So, God pours his wrath out on the Jews and the Gentiles. I think that's an important distinction that are left on the earth during that tribulation. And many say that the rapture is imminent. Do you know what imminent means? I didn't, but it means any minute. So, I think imminent means any minute. That's, that's the way that I remember it. But, um, you know, just like we, we can see the end times coming, just like we can see Christmas coming, Right? in about October, when normal people put up their uh, Christmas lights and decorations. And then as it gets closer and closer, we see more and more marketing. We hear all of the songs. And uh, then Christmas is here, just like we are experiencing the birth pangs of the end times. They're getting stronger and closer together. Well, we know before Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving has to come, right? So... We know that before the end comes, the rapture is imminent. It could come at any time. Uh, Last week, we looked at the betrothal ceremony and the wedding ceremony of uh, of the Israelite people, and we found out that Jesus was actually the initiator of that, or he used that as an example, and he said, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself. And then in John 14, 29, he said, I tell you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, when you see that they happen, you will believe that the rest will happen. You will believe. So God takes those types and those shadows uh, very, very seriously. And I believe we need to take them seriously as well. Some believe that we're going to have a great revival prior to the rapture and that we're all working hard to that end, but Peter, Paul, John, and Jesus himself said that there is going to be a great falling away. I'm going to explain that a little bit more later. I don't want us to get the wrong idea that we don't always strive, we don't occupy, and we don't take ground. We do. There's going to be a great revival after the rapture, the word is clear about. Uh, There's there are going to be 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And in Revelation 7, 4, it takes the time to mention that 12,000 from each tribe by every name. So it mentions them. And people will be saved by the the thousands, probably millions, maybe hundreds of millions or more, uh, in an environment that's very brutal toward Christians. They won't be able to just saunter off to church like we can uh, like we have the right to do, um, it's going to be brutal, and many will be fighting for their lives, and many will lose their lives because of it. So there are also two witnesses mentioned in Revelation eleven three, and the entire world will see them. God never leaves his people without a witness, even during the tribulation. So he sends 144,000 and two special witnesses to the earth because of his love and compassion to warn them. And Matthew 24, 14 says the gospel will be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. Matthew, yeah, that's twenty four fourteen, And that's speaking of the tribulation. The gospel will be preached by the 144,000, the two witnesses, and possibly John and an angel. And then the end, which the end is, will come. So what time is it? Let's look around and compare with Scripture. Jesus tells us to watch the fig tree remember? And these are the prophecies that are to come in the later days. The single biggest event to usher in the latter days was the uh, budding of the fig tree. And Jesus says to watch that fig tree, and he said to watch all the other trees around it who are the other countries. So we need to watch and uh, uh, look at prophecy and and watch those prophecies come to pass. Uh, One thing that we need to watch for right now that hasn't happened is the Gog Magog War or the Ezekiel 38-39 war, um, and that's going to be with Russia, Turkey, and Iran, and that coalition has already, um, that's already happened. I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that Iranian nuclear physicists right now can't get life insurance because there's already things happening, uh, and some of those guys are uh, disappearing. So they, they can't even get life insurance. because. So this it's an example of uh, of things that are happening, either behind the scenes or there's rumblings of this war starting already. Um, and another of the big events is the Jewish people were, uh, or had won back Jerusalem in the Six-Day War in 1967, and I love this quote from God. I mean, you know that they were very uh, overwhelmed and they were huge underdogs and God had to come through to win that war, but God said this in uh, in Psalm 132, 13, he said, For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. He has desired it for his home. And this is a quote from him. He said, This is my resting place forever, he said. I will live here, for, and this is my home that I desire. So another few things here quickly is that the Hebrew language was restored. The Ethiopian Jews were brought back to Israel. And these were all prophesied about The fertility of the land of Israel, there are fish in the Dead Sea now, economic prosperity of Israel, and the large gathering of predatory birds. And Matthew 24, 34 says, So also when you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. And so a generation is 70 to 80 years, we know from Scripture. So the people that saw, uh, th- and I believe that's this generation, that saw the, uh, the budding of the fig tree or Israel becoming a nation again, will see all things. All right, next we have apostasy. That's another sign. Talked a little bit about this last week. It's a defection, a revolt, a departure of, from the church. It's people denouncing or renouncing Uh, the church, or Jesus as their Savior, and that's happening, unfortunately. Apostasy is mentioned in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 2, so it's an end times theme. And Paul said, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first, and that falling away is uh, apostasia or apostasy, it's a turning away. So there are signs also in the sun, moon, and stars, I think this one's really fun. God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And Paul makes reference to the signs and seasons also when he talks to the Thessalonians about um, the signs that they should be looking for, that we should be looking for as a church. And he refers to the, the feasts as seasons or appointed times. So there's a salvation message in the constellation in the constellations, and I really believe that God showed that to Adam. It was passed down, but the enemy uh, took that over a little bit, didn't he? The enemy can't create anything, but he's really good at perverting what God has created, and he perverts it to take uh, the focus off Jesus, which everything that God does points to Jesus. So that's what the enemy does. So he took astronomy and God's really cool creation and how he has put everything into motion is just amazing. And the enemy had turned that into astrology, where celestial bodies have influence on human affairs and in the natural world. And they're used for predicting events and for casting horoscopes, Uh, things that we don't do. We don't use the signs that we see in the heavens to predict. Okay, and there are blood moons. Um, they're said to, to be some kind of a signal, maybe of chaos or trouble or warning. Uh, when there's four consecutive blood moons, that's called a tetrad. And four times in recent history, and by recent history I mean starting in 1492, there have been blood moon tetrads that have happened on the feast days. So, how God makes that happen, I don't know. But one was 1492 when the Spanish Inquisition was happening and America became a safe haven for the Jews. 1498 when Israel was born as a nation. In 1967 when Israel won back Jerusalem. And in 2015, which was seven years ago, um, no one's really sure what that was a warning of or maybe it was like a two-minute warning on the time clock. I don't know. Um, But The planets aligned also in June. That was kind of cool. Did anybody experience those? Did you get up early in the morning? I did with a cup of coffee a few times. And it was really cool because all of the planets, uh, all the visible planets were on, uh, actually all the planets were on the same side of the sun. And you could see all of the visible planets in the morning sky before the the sun came up. So it was kind of cool to see uh, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Venus. And I never did quite see Mercury, but Mercury was a little bit too close to the sun to see. But that was cool. Uh, There's a slide here on a solar eclipse. There we go. So that's the path of two solar eclipses. These are complete solar eclipses. One happened in 2017, and the other one is going to happen in April of 2024. Uh, The significant thing is where they cross is called Little Egypt. I'm not quite sure what the significance is, but there are many towns in that area that have, uh, that have Egyptian city names. Um, and so there's some connection with Egypt. And also there, another connection is that it usually takes about somewhere around 300 years for a solar eclipse path to be crossed by another solar eclipse path, but this is done in seven years. So. Not reading anything into it, all I'm doing is pointing out a sign. And what does Jesus say when we see these signs? He says to look up. So that's what we're doing. Another thing about that is that it's like the letter Toph in in the Greek language or the Greek alphabet. And Jesus is said to be the Aleph and the Toph, the beginning and the end. And that looks like the Toph. The next slide is the Revelation 12 sign. And this, this completely blows my mind, um, what God had to do millennia ago to set this in motion. And then he told us 2,000 years ago that it would happen. And I'm just going to read. It's only five verses, so I'll read what was said about it. It's in Revelation 12, starting in verse 1. And Virgo there represents or is a virgin, and she represents Israel. Leo, the lion, represents uh, Jesus. And there are nine nine stars in Leo. And then at this time in 2017, Mercury, Venus, and Mars joined Leo to make a crown that's referenced here in in the word. So Revelation 12.1 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. You can see the, the sun there on her shoulder. Kind of looks like a robe. Clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars or a crown then being with child she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth and another sign appeared in heaven behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and drew them on drew them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born And she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So there's another caught up. It's a type of rapture. And the rod of iron reference comes from Psalm 2.9, where God tells Jesus that you shall rule them with an iron rod. And Jupiter, I think, is interesting in this, uh, in this depiction, it, it represents Jesus. Jupiter is the king planet, and uh, it stayed there for nine months. It retrograded, which I don't completely understand, but means either go backwards or hover, and it stayed in what, what they call Virgo's womb for nine months, same gestation period as a human. And what I like about Jupiter is that it has stripes, and it Jesus uh, had stripes, and and by those stripes we are healed. So Jesus, again, in Luke 1 said, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Now when these things happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your your redemption draws near. And that's the only point that I have with these signs, is these are amazing. This happened in 2017, Uh, and it happened to be the day after Rosh Hashanah, which is one of the fall feasts. So very quickly, I want to talk about uh, wars, famine, and pestilence as a means of control. This is a little bit of a left turn, but I think this is important for us to, to know. Um, I want us to see just how easy it is for people, a population, to forfeit their rights uh, for, in exchange for what might be a little security. So. Wars and corrupt governments have been the primary cause of famines in the past century. There is enough food, right? It's just that sometimes we have a hard time getting it to people or people have a hard time getting it. And God's not going to put us on a planet to starve, uh, but we need to steward those resources well. We can see the effects of grain prices increasing, the fertilizer shortage. uh, Like I referenced last week, Uh, there have been 20 fires in food processing plants in the first seven months of 2022. So, am I saying that these are uh, man-made sabotages? Not really, but maybe. But can we see the spirit of Antichrist at work on the earth right now? So, famine, fuel prices, and pestilences, those are the big three. They can be used as a mean, means of controlling population. Um, and I have an example here of the Egyptians during the famine. Uh, they started out with, uh, you know, they started out with with food and reserves, and they had money. But eventually, they spent all their money to get seed, and they didn't have any money left. So the next year, they came back and they said, uh, "We don't have any money." They said, "The money has failed us. Can we give you our cattle and our herds to get seed?" Yes, and that went on. And then finally, they said, "We have nothing left." We have nothing left. Would you buy us and buy our lands and give us seed? So that happened. After the famine, they had nothing left. So Benjamin Franklin once said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And that quote comes up a lot in the context of technology concerns about government surveillance. So... um, I want to say, too, that we are a restraining force. There's a lot of things coming down around us, but we are the restraining force. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6, and 7 says, And now you know what is restraining, that he might be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there's four he's here. We need to rightly divide the word. The, the he that is mentioned first when Paul says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. That is the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and we see the spirit of Antichrist working even now. He who now restrains is the Holy Spirit in us, in the church. And we are restraining uh, we are restraining the Antichrist from being known right now and everything that comes with it. We are restraining, we're pushing back, we're, we're um, taking ground, right? We're, we're, um, we're battling right now. And he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, out of the way of the lawless one being revealed. That's what we're restraining. So what are we holding back? Let's look around. Let's look at more signs that we can see around us. There's going to be a digital currency. There's going to be a possibility of genetic manipulation. And get this, has anyone heard anything about UFOs recently? UFOs right now are in the mainstream. and I I can't even believe it. I feel crazy even mentioning that up here. But um, I'm wondering if that's the great deception, if that's the great lie that 2 Thessalonians 2.11 is talking about. But the enemy has to have an explanation for the church being removed and all those millions and millions of people being removed off the earth, right? So could this be it? I wasn't even going to mention anything until I saw an ad for Fox News' alien abduction series that you can dial up on your phone right now, or wait till after church, but you can dial it up on your phone anytime you want. It's uh, hosted by Abby uh, Hornacek. So... Some see that there's a systematic uh, release uh, over time of this information, almost like rungs in a ladder, to ease people into the position of thinking, yes, alien abductions is a possibility for all these people missing. So, it's very mainstream. Sa- uh, famine, we know about all the sabotage, controlling of the grain supply and corn via war, fertilizers, fires that, we, that I just mentioned. Fuel shortages, it just makes it harder to grow crops, and it makes everything more expensive. This is what we're holding back. Shortages, gas, uh, you know, there's a shortage of gas right now, fuel. Um, how about paying people for not working? Uh, we're, we're seeing that, believe it or not, and they're, they're getting something for nothing, and it creates a generation that is used to that and will expect it, and then... Uh, a national salary then seems to make sense. But Paul told the Thessalonians that if you don't work, you don't what? You don't eat. He warned against idleness. <clears throat> so what else is coming? What else are we restraining and holding back? Uh, what about globalists? There are so many global elites. There, we, we used to call it the New World Order. Now it's called, I think, the One World Government. I don't look into it too much, but... You've heard of the World Health Organization and what they want to do. They want 192 countries, including the U.S., to transfer the sovereignty of their authority, of their healthcare decisions to the World Health Organization Director General. You've probably heard of the World Economic Forum, uh, led by Klaus Schwab. His senior advisor is Yuval Harari. And Yuval Harari has said some crazy things. Uh, and these guys have an unbelievable amount of power. Uh, and they're, they're not even hiding what they, want their, what they want done. Their agenda is right out there. He said, this is Yuval Harari, he said, science is not about truth, it's about power. Unquote. So he's saying you can tout anything you want as long as it gets you power, if it controls people. Another quote, the thing that people remember about the COVID crisis is that this is the moment when everything went digital and everything became monitored and that we agreed to be surveilled. And most importantly, when the surveillance started going under the skin, but we haven't seen anything yet, unquote. He also said the big process that's happening to the world right now is hacking human beings, unquote. This is Yuval Harari, the senior advisor to Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. Um, he lives a lifestyle that flies in the face of God and Christianity and is looking unabashedly to literally take over and control human beings. Another thing that he said was the the big, um, he said, we've had two big revolutions, one, the computer science revolution and the revolution in biosciences, and they are about to merge. Biological data will be converted to digital data and will be analyzed by computers. I don't understand it, but that's, that's where they're going. Um, so back to biblical things, which I'm much more comfortable with. We are that restraining force. We're holding that back, and we're taking ground, and we're going against the gates of hell. We're occupying, right? We're pushing it back, and we're occupying right where we're at. But when the restraining force, when the Holy Spirit through the church is taken up... All of these things that are in position are going to come into play and be manifest. And what, what will that day be like? Jesus said, it'll be like the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He said, likewise, it is also... It was also as in the days of Lot. They ate and drank and they bought and they sold and they planted and they built. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, Lot was also a restraining force. One of the angels told Lot in Genesis 19.22, he said, hurry, for I cannot do anything until you are safe. Lot had to get out of Sodom and go up the mountain to a safer city. And the angel couldn't do anything until he was safe. So that's a a type of rapture. So we have violence. We have sin exalted. Uh, The Nephilim, Pastor Mike talked about a few weeks ago, is representative of uh, maybe there's going to be some genetic things that happen to people, like uh, Yuval Harari is talking about. And there are warnings that are being ignored. And those warnings are typically ignored by scoffers and people who think this is foolish. And I typically don't go around challenging people verbally or overtly, but I will challenge uh, people who think this stuff is foolish. And I challenge scoffers to look into this yourself, to read about it, to learn about it. Um, Genesis 19, 12, especially, well, and following, but especially 14 says, But to his sons-in-law, this is Lot, when he was trying to get them out of Sodom, he said, or it says, but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking, and they were never spoken of again. He thought, the sons-in-law thought that Lot was joking when he was trying to save them and get them out of Sodom. They said, you're joking. They were never spoken of again, and at the end of that chapter, uh, we know there's an event that happens that uh, proves that they didn't make it. They thought it was foolish, and they were destroyed when Sodom Sodom was destroyed. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if if it feels like foolishness, that that might be a tip uh, of what's happening. But 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, this is Peter saying, Scoffers will come in the last days, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? They're scoffing at it. He's not coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But Paul says, in order for them to say that, they would have to willingly forget. What would they have to willingly forget? That the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So what do scoffers have to forget now? They have to willingly forget everything that is in here in the word of truth that talks about uh, end times and all the prophecies that should lead us to a conclusion. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says, And for this reason, what reason? The reason that the scoffers don't like the truth, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So I just challenge you, I uh, almost beg you, if you're a scoffer, if you think this is foolish, look into it, be open, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there are many different kinds or types of raptures that we've seen, like Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. Isn't that a weird, <laughs> weird scripture? He walked with God, and then he was no more. So God took him. It's a type of rapture. Uh, Moses, when he went up to the mountain, Lot escaping from Sodom, And John, in Revelation 4, 1 and 2, and one of my super smart and super sharp and super wise sons-in-law showed me this. He said, take a look at Revelation 3, Uh, I'm sorry, the first three chapters in Revelation is where Jesus is speaking to the churches. And then chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, we see that John heard a loud voice like a trumpet that said, come up here. Immediately, he was in the Spirit, and he was in front of the throne. And we don't see a mention of the church anywhere throughout the tribulation. We don't see a mention until Jesus comes back with the church. So that's another type of rapture. So here's a picture of the rapture that Jesus gave us uh, in the, the shadow of the Jewish wedding tradition. Uh, We see there that the groom comes from his father's house. He pays the bride price, which is Jesus' death. The communion cup represents the covenant. The church is sanctified and set apart for him. And then they're considered legally married. And then the groom goes back to the father's house. And we see that in Acts 1, 1 through 9. And remember, I keep saying this because it keeps coming up to me. John 14, 29 says that Jesus said all this would happen so that when it did happen, that we would believe. We'd believe what? We'd believe the rest. We would believe then that the wedding ceremony must happen because he said it would happen. Does that make sense? So, I love that about him. He doesn't leave anything, uh, anything hidden. He actually tells us what, what he's planning. So, Um, Just as the Jewish wedding tradition is a shadow of reality to come, I believe so are the feasts, and they were established by God in the Levitical law. There are seven feasts established by him that the Israelites recognized, practiced, and celebrated, and these feasts are types and shadows or representations of what is to come. Now, God, just like he put the redemption plan in the stars and it was perverted, God put the redemption plan in the feasts of the Jewish people so that they would practice these feasts year after year after year so God could ingrain in their mind what his redemption plan was so that when the real redemption plan happened, when their Messiah comes, he wanted them to be able to recognize uh, that and be familiar with it so that they would receive him as their Messiah. So the feasts are like a dress rehearsal. They're a dress rehearsal for the real thing, which is Jesus coming. Colossians 2.17 says uh, that the feasts of the Lord are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So the feasts are a shadow. They're uh, a shadow or a substance of Christ. And the purpose is to point to Jesus and God's redemption plan. So the spring feasts have been fulfilled to the very appointed time and the hour that they were given. And we'll talk about these very, very briefly. Uh, Passover, for example, uh, they had to identify a lamb without blemish, representing Jesus, our lamb, without blemish. It's a case of the innocent dying for the guilty, and the lamb had to be killed just after the ninth hour. And Jesus said, it is finished, and released his spirit, he dismissed his spirit, uh, when he said it, it, it is finished at about the ninth hour or just after when he died on the cross, which fulfilled the feast of the Passover. Um, of unleavened bread, uh, that's the removal of leaven from the home, and it's where we get our spring cleaning from because the, the Jewish people had to clean out all, even the crumbs of the, the bread of the that they had been cooking all year with leaven in it. They had to get it out. They had to get it out of their out of their house, and they ate only unleavened bread during this feast. And Jesus' fulfillment, of course, was he had no leaven. Leaven is a representation of sin. Uh, So he died for for them to fulfill the unleavened bread. Also, first fruits, uh, we celebrate this as Resurrection Sunday, and it's a great celebration uh, the Jews don't celebrate it as such, but th- what they do is they bring the first of the harvest to the, uh, to the priest, and they have to wave it as an offering. And it's where we also get uh, the first 10% or giving God the firstborn. Uh, it's where uh, tithing comes from. And Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection, too. He went to the Father, resurrected, and because he is perfect and makes us perfect, we can go to the Father as well. Pentecost is also um, a spring feast, and it's a little bit of a mystery to the Jewish people. What they do is they count 50 days uh, from first fruits, and uh, then they celebrate Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes to all believers in this. Peter said that we were in the end times because the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. So the spring feasts are a foreshadowing and we're, a f- we're, and were fulfilled during Jesus' first coming. The fall feasts are also a foreshadowing of the Messiah's second coming and will be fulfilled sometime in the future. God's plan of redemption is spelled out in the established feasts from the Levitical law. And here's John 14, 29 again. He's, he's told us in the spring feasts what should happen, they have happened, so that we would believe uh, the fulfillment of the other feasts. So we have Feast of Trumpets. That's uh, another word for that is Rosh Hashanah. That's the first fall feast. Um, it's another bit of a mystery for them because uh, I think it signifies the uh, the catching away of the church. Maybe it's a two day feast because it was unknown exactly when the new moon was. So. Uh, the priests had to go out and see when that new moon happened. And that's when they blow the shofar. They blow it uh, many times. The first, the first um, bunch of times is really short. Um, what's the word for that? St- staccato? I never know if it's stiletto or staccato. But staccato makes sense. <clears throat> and then the last trump is longer, right? And so that's the reference to the trumpet. The Day of Atonement, uh, Israel's opportunity to demonstrate repentance. Feast of Tabernacles is a Feast of Booths. That's uh, a gathering and a celebration in his presence. So, just a conclusion to that. When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Because they knew and we know the signs that we should be keeping track of. And the seasons there that he's referring to is the appointed times or the feasts. So, he's pointing us to the feasts uh, to take a look at for the, um, for the fulfillment of the end times prophecies. So, we never make predictions, however. We've, the church has made predictions in the past and had catastrophic consequences. So we don't do that ever. There's a laundry list. You can go to Wikipedia, and there are pages and pages of uh, times when um, predictions have been made and the consequences to them. But it, and I think it started with the Thessalonians, because as soon as Paul brought this up, about three weeks later, maybe a little bit more, he had to write uh, Second Thessalonians and, and tell them, no, you haven't messed it. missed it. I think what happened was he wrote... 1 Thessalonians and the messenger that brought it came back and already told Paul, hey, there's some confusion here because there's a false teacher saying that it has already happened and that they missed it, and they're, they're scared that they missed it. So he had to write 2 Thessalonians 2. So unfortunately, it seems like the pendulum has swung in the church as a whole where now because maybe if somebody says something about the end times, there, there might be an interpretation of a prediction. There shouldn't ever be. Now we've kind of swung over to, yeah, we're just not going to talk about it much anymore. But it's, it's something that we need to understand, not to make predictions, but to, to look what? To look up for our redemption draws nigh. So I'm going to wrap it up here. And in closing, there are so many people more in love with the world system, unfortunately, than with God's system, and we just can't, we can't stand to think that it just might get worse before it gets better. We need to be about our Father's business, and Jesus is the king. Jesus is going to bring his kingdom. The point is that we are on a mission. We are on a rescue mission, and our hope is not in this world. It's not a, it's not a covert operation. I think some Christians think, well, yeah, we're on a rescue mission, but it's covert. I can't tell anybody about it. I can't tell anybody I'm a Christian. I can't tell anybody that they need to accept Jesus. I just have to be really quiet about it. No, it's overt. And we shouldn't be afraid even to offend people if we're telling them the truth. Amen? We'd rather have somebody be, or at least risk a little bit of offense in order to tell them what the truth is. We'd rather them not be offended and go to hell, right? I mean, risk offense a little bit with the truth. So so it's a it's an overt operation here's the hope that we need to give people it's found in the world to come it's not found in today. The real utopia that is trying to be created here on earth is going to happen in the next uh, the next life or the next um so that's where the real utopia is it's not going to be here so let's Live for God's dream, not our own. It's his business. Let's be about his business. Let's be found so doing, so doing what he asked us to do when he left. Let's be like that faithful servant. Amen? So remember, this information over the last couple of weeks is not so that we can be right. It's not so that we can win an argument. Uh, it's what we do with it. And it's, it's not an excuse to coast to the finish. And if you say that these three weeks are about that, I will find you. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of coasting. And it's to to have an answer for people when they ask, whether they're in the church or whether they're in the world. We need to be able to have an answer for this and to encourage. And I mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating. The greatest lie is not that there's no God, there's no heaven not that there's no enemy, there's no hell. The greatest lie is that there is no hurry. There's no urgency. We have plenty of time. That's the greatest lie. And it's it's not how we should live. We need to live with expectancy, anticipation in his imminent return. It could be any minute. And the father will send his bridegroom to get his bride at his appointed time. Amen. So, this will not overtake you like a thief in the night, Paul said in Thessalonians 5.4. He said, but you brethren, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So, let us watch. Let us be ready. Let us be found so doing. Let's have a sense of urgency. Let's not be deceived. Let's not be ignorant about these things. And let's sprint to the finish. If I could have the worship team come up, please. And would you stand with me? And the altar workers can come up as well. If this is new to you, and some of what we talked about might feel a little bit abstract or unfamiliar, God is very clear when it comes to salvation. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says that the wages of sin is death, that Jesus died for us, that he rose again from the dead. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. By grace you have been saved through faith. As many as received him, to them he he gave the right to become children of God. God has given us eternal life, and that life is in the Son. And he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. It's very black and white, very clear, even though end times prophecy may not be. So if it's you who hasn't made this decision, if it's you that hasn't received this gift, you can do it right now through a simple prayer. If that's the desire of your heart, we'll help you pray a simple prayer. You only have to do this one time. You're not joining this church. You're just joining the family of God. So let's all bow and pray. You can repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I open the door of my life and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And giving me eternal life. Please take control of the throne of my life. And live your life through me. Lord, make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.